The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 8, Of Christ the Mediator, Paragraph 6. Although the work of redemption was not actually wrought by Christ till after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefits thereof were communicated unto the elect in all ages successively from the beginning of the world, in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices, wherein he was revealed, and signified to be the seed of the woman which should bruise the serpent's head, and the lamb slain from the beginning of the world, being yesterday and today the same and forever. Your minister has just finished a 97-week series on how we are saved. He has made it absolutely clear that anyone who has ever been saved is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That sermon series that has lasted for all that time is also underpinned by a Bible study, by small groups, by home groups. Everybody for that period of time in your church has been hearing this wonderful truth that salvation is not of works, but it is of faith and faith in Christ. And then one night your minister asks the question, What about Abraham? What about Moses? What about any of the Old Testament figures that we know about and teach our children in Sunday school? How were they saved? And a hand goes up in the back of the room and everybody agrees with the answer. They were saved by keeping the law. I suspect your minister probably gets into the car and bangs his head repeatedly off the steering wheel. The fact that we often believe that Old Testament men and women of faith are saved by works often seems something to me that we just seem to imbibe. It's a truth. We know it is. We we are sure it is. We're convinced. And even though we are also sure that we must be saved by faith in Christ, something inside tells us it must have been different for the Old Testament saints. Thankfully, The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 8 and paragraph 6 makes it clear that Christ the Mediator didn't just save anyone who came after his cross, but also those before. Let us be clear. If anyone has ever been saved, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That means the Apostle Paul. That means you and I here in 2019 And that means Abraham and Enoch and Moses and Elijah, men and women and children from the beginning of time 
saved by grace and faith and Jesus. If you are struggling with this truth, I believe the confession to be incredibly helpful. Paragraph 6 begins by telling us that there was a time in history, a moment in history, that redemption was actually brought to pass. The Westminster Divine state that the work of redemption was not actually wrought by Christ until after his incarnation. They point us to that moment, 2,000 odd years ago, when the Son of God took on flesh, when Christ came to be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. There was a moment in history that the God-man walked this earth and he walked all the way to a cross and a tomb from which he rose again. The work of redemption was wrought by Christ in history when he came and took on flesh. Paul makes this clear in Galatians 4 verses 4 to 5. When the fullness of time had come, writes Paul, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so when we hear this, perhaps a question pops into your head. If there is an actual moment in history that Christ accomplishes redemption for his people, then surely those born before that moment of redemption in history were lost. Surely everyone born before the cross, Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Jonah and all those men and women that we have read about in the Old Testament, surely every single one of those before the cross, well, their sins were not forgiven. And today they are in that place called hell, a lost eternity. But the divines continue and they state that the work of redemption was brought about in a moment in history at the incarnation of Christ and yet the virtue, efficacy and benefits of that redemption were communicated to the elect in all ages successively from the beginning of the world. What a wonderful truth this is. And certainly my friends, if you have ever struggled with the questions that have been raised so far today, then that in itself is a truth to think on. The benefits of redemption were applied to every single member of the church. Any person considered to be the elect of God in all ages from the beginning of the world, the virtue, efficacy and benefits of redemption were communicated unto them. The virtue of Christ's sacrifice, the the goodness of it, the excellence of it was communicated to the elect in all ages from the beginning of the world. The efficacy of it, it was effective, it accomplished that which it set out to accomplish. It is a sacrifice that never needs to be repeated. Once and for all, the Lamb of God laid down his life for his people and the efficacy of this sacrifice communicated to the elect in all ages and all the benefits of salvation we have been forgiven we have received the righteousness of Christ imputed into our accounts we have been given a hope of heaven one day we will stand again on this earth the virtue efficacy and benefits of redemption communicated to all the elect in all ages from all the time since the very beginning Simply put, if we meet someone in the Old Testament, they were not saved by works, not saved by law keeping, not saved by a sacrificial system, but saved 
by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, it is true to say that the Old Testament was a place of type and shadow. It was a place where the fulfillment of the promises given to the people of God had not yet reached their fulfillment. Men and women of faith in those days looked forward to a saviour who would come. At that juncture, they would know nothing of Christ coming to walk on water. They would know nothing of him cleansing the temple. They would know nothing of Pilate and Jesus standing before him. And they could not yet imagine the crucifixion and the men on either side of Jesus and one of them coming to faith in Christ in those final moments and Jesus crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they would know nothing of the empty tomb and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Truly today in 2019, we are blessed because we have God's full, complete revelation. And yet Old Testament men and women of faith were still saved through their faith in a Christ who had yet to come. And they had been given means to lead them to Jesus. The Westminster Divines tell us that the virtue, efficacy and benefits of Christ's sacrifice were communicated to the elect in all ages from the beginning of the world in and by those promises, types and sacrifices where Christ was revealed and signified. And so, just as the church today has the means of grace, wherein we see Jesus, we come to the Lord's table, we observe the waters of baptism as they flow, we sit under the word of God. Sunday after Sunday, we meet with Christ in the ministry of word and sacrament. So too, the church of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament had means, they had promises, they had types, they had sacrifices. And these promises would show them Jesus. These types and sacrifices would reveal and signify Christ to the men and women of faith. And we see this clearly in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Old Testament is full of promises pointing forward to Christ. But the promise given in Genesis 3, spoken unto Satan by the Lord himself, makes it clear. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan is told, a child is coming, the seed of the woman is coming. You will wound him, but he will destroy you. He will bruise or crush your head. And as we read this promise and the multitude of other promises in the Old Testament, we see that the people of God were promised. A child is coming. The seed of the woman is coming. Jesus, who is the promised one, is on his way to bruise the serpent's head. The men and women of faith were given a promise. They were given the word of God, where God told them, I am going to do a great thing. Not only were they given promises, but the Old Testament was a place full of types. We see this, I think, most clearly in the priesthood in the Old Testament. Paul in Hebrews 10 writes that in that sacrificial system, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And yet, says Paul in verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool 
for his feet. The Old Testament priesthood was a type of the great high priest who was to come. But the Old Testament priesthood was not Jesus. They would offer sacrifices repeatedly, day after day after day. But as the men and women of faith would observe this daily ritual, their hearts were stirred by a working of the Holy Spirit, and by faith they longed for and looked for the day when the great high priest would come and offer a sacrifice that was once and for all and would sit down. We see this imagery again in the life of Adam. Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 14, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was a type of Christ. And when Jesus came, he is referred to as the second Adam. He is the perfect Adam. He is the one true Adam who keeps the covenant of works perfectly on fallen humanity's behalf. He is the true Adam. And finally, of course, there was David. And we could speak of a multitude of others, but David was a type of Christ. He was a king on a throne. But one day David would be removed from his throne by death. Jesus, however, is the king of kings, the one true greater David who today sits on the throne and will do forevermore. In the Old Testament, we have promises given to the people of God where they will hear about the hope that is to come. And also in the Old Testament, there are a multitude of types that point them forward once more to the day a greater priest will come, a greater prophet will come, a greater king will come. And also, say the Westminster Divines, the Old Testament believers had a multitude of sacrifices. We see these outlined for us, particularly in the book of Leviticus. And there's a wonderful picture that is given in that book. In Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 27, we are told, If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and he realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. Now normally, we skip over Leviticus, don't we? Surely a book like that has nothing to say to the church of Jesus Christ, and yet it does. It is a book that shows us how the Old Testament men and women of faith were to worship. And in this one little picture, and of course Leviticus is full of other pictures, but we see what the Westminster divines here are speaking about when they talk of how the Old Testament church were given sacrifices to signify Christ to them. Here in this instance, the the goat would be brought. The goat has to be without blemish. It has to be spotless. Once again, pointing forward to Christ, who was the Lamb of God without sin or spot or stain. And so this goat without blemish is brought and the individual who has committed the sin would lay his hand on the goat. He would cling to it. He would touch it. He would say, this is in my place. And then the offering would be killed. Its blood would be shed. My friends, if these are not images pointing the church forward to a time 
when Christ would come, I really don't know how to interpret the Old Testament. The Old Testament church, therefore, were given promises and types and sacrifices where Jesus was revealed to them, where Jesus was signified to be the seed of the woman which they were waiting for, the one who would come to bruise the serpent's head. Jesus was revealed and signified to be the lamb who was slain from the very beginning of the world. The church of Jesus Christ in the old perhaps did not have the full picture, but in God's grace, he gave them a picture. He gave them a picture in glorious technicolor that pointed forward to Christ. It is, as we read in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And while the church of Jesus Christ might rise or fall in its numbers, and whilst the church of Jesus Christ might know days of prosperity and blessing and then other days of turmoil and trouble and trial, our Saviour and his gospel and his sacrifice remains the same. Anyone before this sacrifice was accomplished was saved still by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. And everyone since has been saved in exactly the same way. There is only one church of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as the New Testament church. There is only the one ancient and true church, all under the headship of Christ. There are not multiple ways to heaven. There is only the one gospel, as revealed back in Genesis 3, where we trust in the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. One church, one faith, one gospel, one saviour. And what a wonderful body it is to be part of when we are received into the family of God, the church of Christ, through faith in Jesus. It helps us to understand, doesn't it? When Jesus says to disbelieving Jews in John chapter 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Father Abraham was a man of faith. And the next time your little ones endlessly sing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you. My brothers and sisters, don't shout at them. Don't tell them to be quiet as you take the long two-hour drive to Granny's house. Sing the song with joy. Because truly, Abraham was a man of faith. And just like Father Abraham, we too are in the family of God because of our faith in Jesus. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 tells us that this faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. As always, we have some questions for you today to consider. Question 1. According to the Westminster Divines, when was the work of redemption accomplished? Question 2. What do we mean when we say that Christ's sacrifice was virtuous, effective, and beneficial? Question 3. How is Christ signified and revealed to the church in the Old Testament? Explain your answer.
Question four. Give an example of a promise, a type, and a sacrifice in the Old Testament that points forward to Jesus. And question five. How is Christ signified and revealed to the church today? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. Thank you.